Welcome to His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. We're glad you've chosen to join us today. Our passion at His Life Ministries is to help believers know Him and show Him. So we keep it simple. It's just about Jesus. Our prayer is that the Holy Spirit will make His truth plain to you so you can walk in freedom and enjoy the life of union that God has designed for you to live. And now, here's Pastor Todd. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We left off last week at verse 9, and today I want to give you a kind of a running start. I'm going to go back to verse 8 briefly and uh, go forward. My wife and I were talking uh, earlier this morning about an article she had read concerning the modern church and why this generation seems to be abandoning the church. It's, you know, to, for their description, they're just leaving the church in masses. And while I don't know the accuracy of their statistics, I do know that there is a diminishing in the church. There's been a great deal of research done as to what's causing people to leave and what they are actually looking for in a church. This particular author's conclusion was that they are seeking authenticity. My question is, authentic what? All these studies are addressing a reality, but uh, they're operating from a faulty premise, typically. And that is, the church was not formed to be attractive to men. It wasn't. The church was not formed to be attractive to men. Men are kind of disappointed by that. I mean, why can't church be like a football game? Everybody just be excited, be attracted to it. Church wasn't formed to be attractive to men. It is the body of Christ. It is the gathering of those who are of one spirit. It is a collection of born-again believers who come in obedience to the call of God to worship him in spirit and in truth. It was never to rival the world in its draw. We are not here to be entertained. We're not here to be moved emotionally or stimulated intellectually. We are here for the revelation of Christ himself through his people, through his worship, through his message. It reminded me of uh, scripture in John chapter 12 where some Greeks had walked up and said to Philip, Sir, we would see Jesus. It's also written in that same chapter that many had gathered to Jesus because of the raising of Lazarus. You know, some come to church to practice religion, to embrace tradition. Some come for the fellowship or the benefits of knowing warm and loving people. Some come to be entertained or stirred emotionally. All of these may be genuine, they may be authentic, but they're not Jesus. Hope that no matter how the presentation up here goes, you came with a determination to see Jesus and to worship in spirit and truth. That's my desire for you. And I don't know what this generation is looking for in regards to the church, but I know what it needs. Jesus, it's just that simple. They have a, they have a need for a clear and unobstructed view of Jesus that's not cluttered with all the devices and schemes that are designed to captivate the hearts of men. We're just about Jesus. We will only draw those who are determined to know him intimately and worship him in spirit and truth. So you may be wondering what that has to do with the text. Well, in reality, everything. Because in the previous chapter, 
or in, in the previous scriptures that we've looked at and the truth of this chapter is that Paul has been revealing his heart his perspective concerning ministry in 2 Corinthians as I mentioned before it's probably one of the clearest views we have of the personality of Paul and his heart for the Lord I mean Paul was just about Jesus that was his central view he had one desire one determination one motivation it was the love of Christ and that's what he wants the Corinthians to see. You know, one of the things that I always pray for both the worship team, for you as a congregation, and for myself up here, is that we could be transparent in order that people might see what Christ has accomplished in us. You go to a lot of churches, people are, bit, are very quick to let you know what they've accomplished according to the flesh. But what people need to see is Jesus. They need to see his work in you and and it in. Yes, we all have problems, we all make mistakes, we, all, we have all fallen, but none of that has diminished his presence or his life in you. Not a single wrong or failure, not a single thing that this world has either done to you or you have participated in will diminish the glory of Christ within you. And church is the one place where we should be able to be transparent. Because let me tell you something. We, every one of us, need that ministry. Sir, we would see Jesus. We should rush to gather together in the cumulative worship of the one who has given us the cumulative life of Christ. It is our pleasure. It is the very dynamic of the center of our being. You know, the greatest war we struggle with is the war of the enemy telling the soul and the soul being convinced that we're something other than a new creation, that our heart is for something other than just purely Christ and the glory of God, that we somehow have some other attraction that is worthy to complete, compete with this love. And we don't. We don't. There is nothing more glorious about you as a child of God than the very presence of his life communing with you, literally in union with the you he created you to be. There is nothing more glorious than that. That's what Paul is trying to reveal to the Corinthians because that church had been invaded by false teachers. And these false teachers sought to draw them away from the truth of the gospel. And Paul writes of his concern for them. In 2 Corinthians 11.3, he says, But now I am fearful, lest that as the serpent beguiled Eve by his cunning, so your minds may be corrupted and seduced from wholehearted and sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Some of your translations may say the simplicity let me tell you, it doesn't get any simpler. Theologians tend to make it sound complex. King James English means, <laughs> tends to make it sound complex. But it is simple. He did everything. You did nothing. He traded his everything for your nothing. He wants to be the whole of your life so that you can live abundantly. He did not capture your life. He did not give you life because of what you might bring to the table. He didn't look upon you and see the capacity of your flesh, your intellect, your wisdom, your charismatic personality. What he saw was a heart in need of, of life. 
a spirit that was dark to truth. Someone who would die in separation away from God if he didn't intervene. And with simple childlike faith, you reached out to him. Some of you came to the point where you thought you had nothing else. That this was all you could do. And in order to have life once again, you reached out to him and you received him. And boy, was that glorious. And in that day, all that was separating you from a relationship, an intimate relationship with God, died on the cross. Everything that separated you from knowing him in his fullness, from coming into the greatness that he literally made you to live in, the greatness of his love, the greatness of his, of his acceptance, the greatness of his desire for you, everything that he made you for was made whole on that day. Then you were resurrected, resurrected in newness of life. What does new life mean to you? Does that just mean you now have a Jesus stamp on you? New life means just that. And you know what? The enemy wants to draw you away from the simplicity of that message. These false teachers had launched an attack on Paul. They attacked his goals. They questioned his motives. They attacked his character, his knowledge, and his integrity. They attacked his preaching and his teaching, his performance and his appearance. They were all about comparing themselves with Paul. They compared their credentials with Paul. They wanted to draw people's attention from the message to the person of Paul. And you know what? When you get distracted, when you get distracted from your worship, from your devotion to God, by your failures... Do you know what? That's the enemy at work once again to draw your attention away from the truth within you to the person he wants you to believe that you are. Nothing steals more life from you than your distraction with your own failures and the failures of others. God wouldn't have us distracted. He wants us to have a clear and unobstructed view of the truth of his love for us, of his son. So they were all about externals, these teachers. So what you see Paul revealing is his heart. He says, I'm just going to be honest with you. You stand up here as a teacher and you say, you know, I've taught all this and I've been educated this way and I have this, this, uh, this ability to, to teach and to preach and there is, uh, there's all these credentials. There's these people that love to hear, hear me preach and, you know, and teach and, and they, they've called me to this school or that school and I'm going to stand up here and I'm going to speak out of my authority. This Paul, we don't know but I know the law. And Paul says, what he knows, he knows, but I'm going to tell you what I know. I'm going to show you what I know. And with transparency, Paul reveals his heart. He doesn't spend a lot of time debating with these guys about credentials. He says, I want you to see who I am, who Christ made me to be. So Paul reveals his heart. So he starts out in chapter 5 comparing his body to a tent. Remember that first part of chapter 5? He says... This is, this is my body. You want to talk about appearances? This body is just my tent. It's a temporary dwelling that I walk around the earth in. It's not my permanent residence. And frankly, I'll be glad to be rid of it. Okay? So, you want to talk about appearances? That's where I am with mine. In fact, he tells the Corinthians, he says, the body is not who I am. 
I'll be glad to trade this tent in for the permanent structure that God is preparing for me. This body is not who I am. And what do we say? I am not a body with a spirit. I am what? A spirit with a body. That's exactly right. Every problem we have starts by believing that the body is who we are. Every, every offense, every insult, every judgment we make, the judgments we make of others is based in the fact that we are judging them according to the flesh and we're judging them according to the flesh because we're seeing ourselves according to the flesh. And the Bible's very clear, judge not lest ye be judged because you know what? The standard you apply to others, you apply to yourself. And how much liberty and freedom is that? Why is it that Paul's willing to get rid of that body? Because he wants to be in residence, a residence nearest the Lord. Then we come to verse 8 where Paul writes, Yes, we have confident and hopeful courage and are pleased rather to be away from home, out of the body, and be at home with the Lord. Favorite funeral verse, but it's true nonetheless. Paul answers his critics who live to the prestige and excellence of their body. His answer to them is, we're not afraid to lose the body because the body is not our life. We know that if this tent falls, we're going to be at home with the Lord. It is our confidence. It is the reason for our hope and courage. This is the mark of the believer whose confidence and hope and courage is in the Lord, not in their body or the temporal world around them. And you can see them. You can also see and hear when they've let go of their confidence in the flesh and their surroundings and latched on to their hope in the Lord. Because I want to tell you something. When your hope and your courage is in the Lord, then you're not going to spend a lot of time comparing yourself to others. Because it doesn't make any difference. When your hope and your courage is in the Lord, you're not going to spend a lot of time being offended. Because, you know what, their opinion is not what holds you together. The truth of you is in Christ. Did you know the truth of you is not even in your behavior? If it was the first time you messed up, you'd go to hell, wouldn't you? The truth of you is who you are in Christ. And when you can lay hold of that, it doesn't, it's not about giving you some liberty in the flesh to go out and do all this self-indulgence, because that'll kill you. It's about giving you the liberty to live in intimacy with Him without feeling like at every turn you might fail. At every turn you might disappoint Him. At every turn you might somehow push yourself away from Him. And I want to tell you something, that's not impossible. Neither height, nor depth, nor anything will separate you from his love. That isn't going to happen. But when I walk in the truth of who I am, guess what? Who I am is in union with Christ. And communion is not something I seek emotionally. It is something I have. Do you know you're in communion with him? Well, if you're like me, you've spent a lot of time ignoring that fact. In fact, you've been spent, I spent a lot of time pleading for the very thing he created me with. It's like me standing up here saying, will you all pray that I get some arms, please? Just pray that I get some arms. I just feel helpless without these arms. And you'd say, stupid, you got arms. Maybe you wouldn't say stupid. Maybe you like me better than that. you say, where are you, blind? You have arms. I have communion with Christ. I don't need to pray for communion with Christ. What I pray is that, Father, let me walk and live in the truth of my communion with you. Let me live in it. I know it doesn't feel real 24-7, but that, damn it, that's what I want. <laughs> that's the way I want to live. 
Paul wants them to see the truth of his heart. He doesn't want to compare credentials with these false teachers. He wants them to know that his hope and his courage is not in other people's opinion. He wants them to know that his confidence is not in the flesh, but in who he was made to be in Christ. Verse 9 says, whether I'm at home on the earth, we are at home on the earth away from him or away from him and with away from home and with him. We are constantly ambitious and strive earnestly to be pleasing to him. So it doesn't matter where we are. Our passion and our purpose never changes. We are out to bring pleasure to our God, to manifest our love for him, to live in obedience, to bless him. We are about the Lord. The ambition, the drive of Paul's heart was to be pleasing. The heart of the Christian. Do you know you were created with a new heart as a believer? Most of you know that. That when God created you, he literally, when he made you a new creation, he literally gave you a heart that was created for him. And then he says, love an enemy. Well, you think in terms of your old heart, well, I can't love that guy. But he's given you a heart for your enemy because he's given you his heart. You know what's so great about this heart? It has the capacity to receive and manifest everything that God says is true of you. That is so cool. I couldn't even begin to articulate the love of God that he has for me or that he has for you. But I know that I have a heart that literally can contain it, can perceive it, can manifest it. There's no love that God requires for me that my heart is not capable of receiving or giving. So here's the truth of my heart. My heart, which captures who I am, is literally created with both the, the love of God and the character of God. That's the truth of your heart. Now, I'm not talking about your behavior. I'm talking about your heart. Now, you can deny who you are. I can act like a monkey, but it doesn't make me one. You can deny who you are, and you can live like you were before Christ remade you. That's what's called walking according to the flesh. Or you can live according to the Spirit and suddenly your life is supernatural just like you are. And suddenly you have the capacity to live out and fulfill all that Christ has called you to. And guess what? When it comes to the new creation, there are no super saints. You're all super saints. Every one of you. And there's not a single requirement. There's not a single thing that God asked of Paul that you cannot live to. And you know, from God's perspective, I've said this before, from God's perspective, it's like this. God creates a bird, and he says, listen, bird, here's my commandment to you. Live like a bird. Oh, no, I can't do that. Why not? Well, I mean, I'm an egg. No, you're not an egg. You're a bird. Fly. Oh, I, I can't fly. I, I, I don't know how to fly. You have wings? Yeah. I've given wind. I've set you forth. What you need is liberty. What you need is the freedom to be all that I've created you to be. Do you know what's robbing you of that freedom? No, what is it, Lord? You. I thought it was the devil. No, it's you. You won't believe that I created you to fly, so therefore you don't. You won't believe that I created you to be a bird, so you won't act like a bird. 
That is the truth of the spiritual life of each and every one of you that God created you for to the degree that it is diminished and it is set aside and you live in defeat. It is a place that you have chosen. You cannot point to the enemy. You cannot point to your flesh. You cannot point to the distractions of this world. You cannot point to the weaknesses of your circumstances. You can only say, I will not believe because that's the truth of it. Paul had a lot of excuses for not living in the truth. I'm in chains. What am I supposed to do? I've been beaten. How am I supposed to handle that? The Jews hate me. You want me to go talk to them? I don't have any way of doing that. They'll kill me. The Gentiles, they think I'm insane. Paul had every reason, every excuse. Did it stop him? No, because Paul was such a brave, courageous man. Where does he say his courage comes from? Now we say that, and I'm going to give you a little clarity here. When we say my hope is in the Lord, my courage is in the Lord, we almost, we, we kind of create a, a sense of separation. And so we think, Lord, give me some of that hope. Lord, give me some of that courage. Well, he gave you Christ as your life. Where do you think that hope and courage is supposed to come from? Do you think Christ has to call up God and say, hey, I need a prescription for a topical application of hope and courage. Could you send one down? No. Hope and courage is part of who Christ is. And guess who is your life? If you want hope and courage, you need to look to Him who is your hope, who is your courage. You see, everything, every fruit of the Spirit, everything that God has called you to is a person. And that person is in union with you. He says it doesn't matter. We live to love Him. Our ambition is to please Him. We have a heart for Him. Paul yielded his heart to express the truth of his heart. The musician, the artist, live to express their giftedness. The Christian's drive and motivation goes beyond this to the very core of who they are. It is literally the fulfillment of our created being to live for the pleasure of the Lord. To live for his pleasure is a fulfillment. It's not weird. It's not awkward. It's not religious. It's not even it's not cultish. It's not like a new diet. To live for his pleasure is not legalistic. It's not about rules. Obedience is simply me being all that I was created to be. Everything that he's asked of me, he's placed his life in me to fulfill. To live for his pleasure suits me. Some of you may not have the full meal deal on this, but if you've ever been in love, you watch two people that are, they do anything to be together. I mean, I don't know, speaking from a male's perspective, I went to a lot of things I didn't care anything about going to. Why do you think I went? People who are in love will do anything to be together. Your pleasure is for the Lord. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. I will say that this is the day that the Lord has made. My amen. I'm excited. I'm excited. To worship Him excites me. I don't even have to watch to see when the game's coming on. To worship Him is exciting. To run after Him is my pleasure. It is the delight of my heart. And you know, my soul gets distracted and I don't always feel that way. But I don't always feel the truth. False teachers were driven by base motivations of the flesh to be seen and known of men. 
They were not living in the revelation and love of Christ. They looked spiritual in their appearances, but their true motivations were in the flesh. They were what Jesus referred to as whitewashed tombs made to look clean, but filled with the corruption of flesh. Verse 10. For we must all appear and be revealed as we are before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive his pay according to what he has done in the body, whether good or evil, considering what his purpose and motive have been and what, his achieve, what he has achieved, been busy with, and given himself and his attention to accomplishing. Now, verse 10 is not meant to be an extensive view of the judgment and what it's about. The judgment for the child of God took place at the cross. Did you hear me? The judgment for the child of God took place at the cross. God took the penalty for sin and laid it all on him. And Jesus said, it is finished. It is paid. Thank you for joining us for His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger. This program is the radio ministry of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. If you'd like to know more about us, visit us on the web at hislifeministries.org or on Facebook at His Life Fellowship. We would love to have you join us for worship. We meet on Saturdays at 5 p.m. at 1307 Blanco Woods at the corner of Blanco Road and Blanco Woods just inside Loop 1604. Also, if you would like to help support this ministry, you can send your tax-deductible donation to His Life Ministries, P.O. Box 1894, Bernie, Texas, 78006.